Welcome to Changing the Channel with Joe Garner, a show about shifting our individual and collective beliefs on what is possible for the future of humanity. As our understanding of how our reality continues to shift, we are at a point of reunification between science and spirituality. What does the world look like when we break free from the generational trauma that has kept most humans playing small for thousands of years and step into our full power as the co-creators of this reality? I always ask that you keep an open mind with this podcast. Ask yourself what resonates with my truth at this time and what does not. Respect your intuition, but see if you can get through the whole show because there might be that little nugget buried deep in the conversation that unlocks something for you. Welcome back to Changing the Channel. I am joined today with Rachel Beth Engenhofer. She is a design professor, sustainability researcher, strategy consultant, systems leader, and critical maker who uses design as a tool for social change. So welcome to the show, Rachel. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and excited for our conversation today. Yeah, as am I. I was doing a little bit of kind of prep for the show and just getting excited about the the conversation. This will be a very grounded conversation, uh, which should be pretty enlightening. So Tell us a little bit about your journey. How have you gotten into so many of these modalities, these focuses, uh, and which one has you the most excited right now? Yeah, well, I think, you know, what really what I gravitated towards with your podcast, Changing the Channel, um, is that idea of what do we need to change? And there's a lot of things in my path and in, in the work that I do that's about changing perspectives and changing the channel and changing how we think about things. Um, how I arrived to where I am today, like so many others and like some of your past guests and listening to past episodes is I burned out, right? And like so many career women today, um, just doing too much in too many places led my body to just give out. And the irony of it is a lot of my work was in sustainability and in mm. sustainable design. And so there was this element of irony of like, I'm working on sustainability and I can't even sustain myself, right? Um, and I really, as much as I work in sustainable design, I have a book out about sustainable design. I use that word a lot. I actually really don't like the word sustainable because we're not living in a sustainable world, right? We are using more resources from the planet than we're putting back. We're using more labor than we're able to give. So we're not sustaining anything. And one of the things that I'm looking to kind of change the channel on is shifting the conversation away from sustainability to regeneration. So, you know, we're not sustaining anything. Sustain To sustain means like keep a constant level. And we're not doing that, right? So we actually, we need to be regenerative right now in finding ways to have more energy, to restore, to re-nourish, to re-energize. And when I hit that place of personal burnout, I kind of realized, well, I need to start with myself. I can't um, help other people. I can't help in sustainability work or regenerative work if I, if I myself am not there, right? So it really comes from a place of what can I do to regenerate myself personally so that I can do work that regenerates my community so that my community might be able to do work that regenerates our planet. Hmm. Um, so that's a little bit of where I got there. You know, I have like a lot of other paths of just, you know, being a designer, doing a lot of travel around the world, seeing how 
our stuff is made and seeing where it ends up in landfills after we're done with it. And that, you know, really led me to wanting to work on sustainable design and regenerative design and, and changing our, our habits and practices and how we treat the planet. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, there are a lot of people out there that would agree with you that sustainability is it's a good buzzword and it got us to this point. But I think regeneration, there's there's a lot of movement in the regenerative farming and regenerative um, uh, cultivation of land, which I think is, mm -hmm. is a huge benefit uh, that that's coming out. Um, so, yeah, I, I think. You've got a beautiful message, and I think you're, you've got a lot of people that are probably willing to to kind of chip in and help out uh, making this regeneration a possibility. Finally, a place for listeners to gather and share. Join the Ascension Update Substack for messages and updates from our brothers and sisters helping with the Ascension, articles on the future of humanity, and a Q&A where you can ask my guides anything you would like. This is the hub for everything Ascension related. Click the link in the show notes or go to joegarner.substack.com to stay at the leading edge of this movement. And now back to the show. So uh, you, yeah. you do a lot of work in systems thinking for sustainable behavioral change. Let's talk a little bit about that. What, what does that mean to you and, and how is that showing up in the world? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, to use just like a really kind of brief example or maybe an example that some people can um, can grasp onto is oftentimes we hear these solutions for how we can help the planet that are very kind of one sided. Right. So someone might say like, oh, well, let's just all eat organic food. If everybody eats organic food, then like, you know, climate crisis solved or like, you know, then, you know, then everything will be fine. But if we unpack that a little bit and say like, OK, well how come not everyone can eat organic food, right? We can look at, well, where is it grown? Where is it sold? How much does it cost? Um, how, what do you have to do to have an income where you can afford that? Um, what kind of job do you have to have where you can shop at a store where you like easily and accessibly are going to get organic food? What kind of education did you have to get that? Where did you live to get that education, right? So you can easily kind of just really unpack that there's, a lot of different systemic issues that all go into why somebody might be able to or not be able to eat organic food, for example, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so then you're looking at things like, okay, it's not just about food, but it's about education. It's about um, racial justice, gender justice, where people live, um, how they're living, what they're valuing, um, why, why those things are, right? So the, then you're looking at the whole system and you're not just looking at this one little thing. So oftentimes in design, I'm looking at how can you create a solution that's not just one-sided or that doesn't have just one leverage point, but has multiple leverage points, right? So instead of just saying like, let's eat organic food, maybe we actually need to say, okay, well, let's look at where is there a food desert and can we put a community garden there that has a store that provides jobs and provides education. Um, but also we need to be able to like value those things, right? So how do you change people's mindsets of, oh, I want to invest in my community. I want to invest in food instead of, 
you know, kind of leading a, a different lifestyle where maybe, you know, you're just shopping at the corner store, getting potato chips and, you know, Dr. Pepper or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so then you're kind of getting into like, well, we need to change entire mindsets, entire paradigm. And that's really mind boggling and much more difficult to do than simply saying eat organic food. Right. So that's kind of what like gets people sometimes. Right. So then where do we go from there? Where, you know, changing the hearts and minds of people is a very difficult endeavor for anybody to take on. So from a from a systemic approach, you know, what what does that kind of look like? And again, you know, you don't have to have here's how to do it. But like, (laughs) what does it start to look like? Like, what are what are the hypothesis uh, of this systemic change that that we're we're going through? And from my perspective, we're going to go through it whether we choose to or not. You know, if, if we right. choose to just ignore it, then there's going to be kind of a a slap up the side of the head like, hey, you guys need to change what you're doing because it's affecting every other aspect of the planet. Yeah, Um I think about that a lot. So I'm also a professor in higher ed, and I think right now in higher ed, there's this parallel with what's happening in higher ed and what's happening in climate change. And that is that, you know, for the past 10 years, people have been ringing the alarm bell saying, hey, there's this enrollment cliff coming. Hey, there's all this stuff on the horizon. If we look at, you know, who's in elementary school, they're going to get to to high school. They're going to get to college. Higher ed's got to change. And so many people in higher ed were like, no, 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 we're not going to change. We're too afraid to change. We're too afraid to change. Right. And I see all these universities kind of panicking mm-hmm. and, um, you know, having to do sudden budget cuts and having to suddenly restructure. And people are like, oh, no, it's so awful that, you know, we're having to cut jobs and do these things. Right. Um, and that's that's hard. <laughs> Because uh, some of us are like, oh, well, you know, we were warned about this. And oftentimes I look at it and I'm like, this is exactly like the climate crisis. Like we are, um, we've been warned, we're being warned and people either are too afraid to change. They don't know how to change. They feel stuck in changing. And I think this, I think you're right that at some point we are going to need to change. Um, okay. But that wasn't your question. <laughs> your question was, how do we change the conversation? How do we change the the hearts and minds of people? Um, you know, I think a lot of it, is, like I said, needing to do things with these multiple leverage points, right? That it's not just a product or a thing, but it's something that also gets at how we talk about things, how we um, communicate with one another, how we relate to one another. There's a lot of interesting, um, frankly, food products um, out these days where um, I think Dave's Killer Bread is an interesting example to me. So Dave's Killer Bread is an organic bread company. I I'm not a sponsor. They don't know who I am. I'm not getting paid to like promote their bread or anything like that. Right. Um, you know, they, um, they, they're an organic bread company. They sell bread, right? You can buy their bread in a grocery store, right? But they employ people who used to be incarcerated. Hmm. And so a lot of, um, and some people are never going to know that they're going to buy the bread and they're never going to have any idea. Right. And some people are going to buy the bread and they're going to read the package and be like, you know, and some people might buy the bread, see, read the package, go to the website, see a little bit more. And then there, maybe their minds are changing a little bit about like, oh, formerly incarcerated people are human. They need a job like they can make bread. 
<laughs> they can do way more than that too, right? But just that idea of like, oh, I can relate to someone in this way that maybe I couldn't relate to in a way before, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's something interesting too about the fact that they're they're making bread, which is just this very like basic, like let's let's break bread or let's eat bread together, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's products like that that do these kind of subtle things of trying to get at how we change the conversation. I think there's also the more these um, topics are inserted into conversation, the more they become normalized and the more people can be on board with them. Right. I think, you know, something I have seen, again, being an educator, you know, I've seen in the past 10 years or so just the um, acceptance of the LGBTQIA community and how many students are um, just so welcoming and just so out there about talking about sexuality, talking about gender spectrum in a way that didn't exist 10 years ago. And part of that is the fact that it's been inserted into um, Hollywood. It's been inserted into ads. It's been inserted into products that it starts to normalize things, right? Mm -hmm. So in this way, we also need to normalize how we treat the planet and how we treat each other. And the more that that can be part of the conversation, that maybe people will connect a little bit more to be able to make some of those slower, more meaningful decisions. Now, from your perspective, does the change come from a more top-down approach? So you have people who are you know, highly researched in these fields. Does it come from top-down and then it filters down to the the you know, lower levels of the society or does it need to be a bottom up approach and we need to really get into and, and start educating people at the bottom so that the change automatically happens? And, and how does that kind of work from a systemic standpoint? I think it has to be both. So, um, you know, and to kind of get to some of the themes of your show, is that there really has to be that interchange inside people to make the change themselves mm -hmm. and to be able to see these things, to connect more with humanity, to connect more with the planet and to really, truly understand that um, in order to make a change. That has to happen. And I, you know, that's one of the things that I really like about kind of the theme of some of what you're talking about is how do you make interchange to affect outer change? Right. And people need to have that interchange in them to believe that we can operate on a different level with our planet and to interact in a different way with our planet and need to really have that and believe that in order to move forward. At the same time, we need people at the top making those same leadership decisions. Now, I, you know, I could be totally optimistic and say that, you know, all those people at the top are also going to have that personal enlightenment and that's going to drive their decision. Um, I don't think we're there yet. <laughs> um, it doesn't appear to be. <laughs> um, you know, that tends to be much more of a capitalistic um, approach when you come top down. Um, but that's why I think it actually has to be both. That you need, you need change from the top and you need change from the bottom. I think all too often we see people bend around the rules or get around the rules. And I think that's because we're not seeing systemic change and we're not seeing the, the like deep change that's needed right um again if we want to use just like a really simplistic example that maybe people can like just grasp onto and i and i 
I realize I'm using a lot of really simple examples, but sometimes I like to use simple examples because then they people can yeah. maybe relate and go deeper on them, right? But um, you know, California is one of the states that um enacted a bag ban. So we you cannot get a single-use plastic bag in our state. You have to instead either bring a reusable bag. If you forgot your bag, you um you you can buy a reusable bag, a reusable bag, right? So the I use quote there is because these reusable bags. Um, they're just thicker plastic. Right. So they look a lot like single-use plastic bags, but they're thicker, so therefore they can call them reusable, right? Um, so because we didn't change our underlying behaviors, because we didn't change our underlying beliefs, we actually use more plastic now than we did before, right? You see this in California, New Jersey, New York, um, all these places that kind of said like, hey, no more, no more bags, we have to use these alternatives. Well, we're using the alternatives in the same way, right? So the underlying systems didn't change. Our mindsets didn't change. Our beliefs didn't change. Um, so it kind of backfired. But if you could um, really, truly connect to and understand where that plastic is coming from, where it's going, who it's harming, who it harmed when it was being produced, who it's going to harm when you get rid of it, um, then maybe you would have a different connection to it, right? Or if the people at the top um, made a different decision that wasn't, let's just, you know, make a thicker plastic bag and call it reusable, but made a different decision that was guided from a different way, maybe we would have seen change in a different, in a different way, right? Um, and there's there's a few states and a few places that are kind of looking at that, right? Like, okay, like just no bag at all. What are you gonna do? You gotta bring bring your own box and like you know load it up and go, or you know just like what it is, right? Um, but you know that's something that I think is kind of interesting to think about is like how do you just completely change the paradigm of like something right. different, right? And so I think again, it's like it takes that inner understanding of how we are connected to each other and the planet. But it also takes top-down decision. Yeah, yeah. I think I think definitely it's a mix of both. And I would say that it would take a yeah an understanding at the top that we're all connected, and that's going to bring a even better uh, a better way of making this transition. But you know, again, how do you get to that top? How do you how do you help people at the top transition. And there, there are people, I mean, there's, there's executive coaches, there's people that are at, that are in the top of the, um, executive food chain that are, you know, teaching people how to connect with their heart that are teaching people how to tap into, uh, their intuition that are teaching people how to really connect with, you know, the higher aspects of themselves and understand the interconnectedness of all of us and that uh, i think is is a step in the right direction and and you know there's also there's ideas that this um you know kind of debt financial system that we have is starting to crack and creak and we'll kind of see where that that leads cuz that is that's a big part of it i mean there's a huge We've built an entire economic machine that requires growth, that that requires a, a decent amount of growth every single year. Uh, and 
a lot of people get kind of tied into that growth and they think, oh, well, it has to be our company that grows. Like we have to grow 10% every year. And, and I don't think they realize that it's actually, if if we continue this system, it's just the economic output has to grow. It doesn't necessarily have to be that Geico and Apple and Amazon have to grow 10% every year. They can stay stagnant as long as there's other businesses that are kind of coming into the fold and we're continuing to kind of grow the economy and, and maybe move it towards, especially as this next generation, this generation that is a little bit more in touch with the con- interconnectedness of all of us starts coming into the the business world. I think you're going to see a lot of businesses opening up that that are a little bit more heart led that are, um, you know, definitely have a a tinge towards uh, sustainability, hopefully regenerate regeneration, which would be ideal. Uh, and then as those systems start to come through, you're going to see, especially with technology that, that is, uh, allowing the playing field to be a little bit more level. Uh, AI is doing this, you know, again, all the information that these monster companies, especially the companies that were founded in the fifties and sixties and have been able to leverage and and gain a majority of the market share. All the tools that y- they have used are now available to everybody else, all the little guys in the in the systems. So, they'll be able to if the hearts and minds change at at the um bottom of the pyramid, they'll be able to affect and and basically garner a whole new, uh, a gigantic portion of the, um, the market share because they are sustainable, because they are doing 1% to the planet, because they are uh, creating systems that seem in alignment with this, um, this reunification of consciousness on the planet. Yeah. There is a lot in what you just said. I mean, I think, yeah, the idea that we just need to grow, 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 grow. It's like, okay, at some point, where's the limit? Right. Right. So I think that's, you know, and that's a question that a lot of people are asking, like, where's the limit? Right. When, when do we go too far? Um, You know, there are ways that technology is leveling the playing field. I would actually push back on that a little bit, though. And I would say, you know, okay, well, the people who are, in another country manufacturing our Apple computers and our iPhones and our, and our Apple watches, um, is it accessible to them? Is it available to them? Right. right. The people who are in the places where our waste is being shipped back to and our e-waste is being shipped back to, you know, is it available to them? And I think that's, you know, so much of this growth model is built on the idea of I'm going to grow at somebody else's expense, whether that be somebody else's labor or whether that be somebody else's, um, you know, resources, if we're taking resources from the earth, if we're taking resources from the land, from different economies, um, you know, labor, physically, labor, emotionally, um, you know, so it's always at the expense of someone else or or something another else. group or something yeah. else. Right. Right. So when it's so this idea that we're interconnected, yes, we're interconnected, but how do we also be interconnected in a way that is respectful for one another. And I think a lot of people, you know, particularly those in the climate justice movement right now, you you look at, okay, well, how do we invert this? How do we take the people who have been most harmed and give them power, 
right? If the decisions were being made, not by how much money do I get to make if I'm the guy at the top, but how do I make this product? How do I make this thing in a way that is safe for everyone, that is not going to be polluting the neighborhoods where the factory is or not going to end up somewhere or that the people making it will make a decent wage or, you know, have more power, have more say in the manufacturing process and the consumption process and the disposal process. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's really, you know, looking at like inverting power systems, but also, again, you know, we're not just connected. Like, yeah, yeah, we can acknowledge we're all connected, but we also have to be able to respect one another and and want good for one another and not kind of be so um extractive in, in, in you know again like physical resources but also extractive in in labor and, and and psychological resources and emotional resources right yeah yeah i mean it, there's definitely a lot of talk of of uh extending seats at the table to you know all stakeholders to everyone involved in the production process and you know, do you see that going on? Do you see that happening right now? Are, are there companies that are uh, really looking into this and, and kind of putting their money where their mouth is? Or is this a lot of, uh, at this point, kind of you know, not necessarily greenwashing, but, you know, it's it's a lot of in 30 years we'll be doing this kind of thing. You know, I think it's a lot of both. I think... um you know, one thing to really look at is just local economies and local principles and local practices. Um, so much of our world is run by these big global corporations, right? And it's hard when our each of our communities is different, right? Our neighborhoods are all different. Our states are different. Our countries are different. Um, and so what works in one community might not work in another community. So a lot of things... There is no one size fits all answer to sustainability, to regenerative practices, to how we're going to like solve the climate crisis. There's no one answer and we need like a million answers, right? It's an all hands on deck kind of thing. And I think that's the hard thing is that people really want like, give me the, give me the tool that's going to work. Like whatever you worked, like, let me, let me rinse and repeat where I am. Mm -hmm. Right. But it doesn't work that way because every, every community is different. So I think there are a lot of small local initiatives where you see change starting to happen. Um, You know, there are local initiatives where you're seeing, you know, indigenous peoples take back their land. There are local initiatives where you're seeing, you know, people of color who live in a neighborhood that has been redlined, that has a lot of pollution in them, you know, speaking up and, and, and making change about their particular neighborhood or their particular instance. So, you know, it is happening at local levels. Um, and so part of why I kind of question any kind of, you know, big company making change is because, again, it, it's kind of dependent on like where where in the community it is and what's and what's sitting there. Um, you know, certainly there are changes that are being made. Right. Like we are, you know, less and less companies are using styrofoam. Great. <laughs> right. But we're still consuming. Right? <laughs> you know, so I think, you know, I, you know, I. um got to tour an Amazon facility recently and, you know, they were just touting about, you know, oh, all these great sustainability practices they have and how, you know, all their packaging is, you know, using less material and so it's lighter and it's just better. And the whole time I'm sitting there, I'm like, yeah, but our sale, your sales are way up, right? But right. we buy more and more on Amazon, right? So yeah, maybe the box is better than it was five years ago, but we've now conditioned ourselves to be buying more and more online, you know? So 
there's always kind of this like push and pull that's there. Right. And and that buying more online, it's just a it's it's an artifact of this idea that we have to continue to grow and grow and grow. The only way uh, this was definitely prevalent in the 70s, 80s and 90s was that, you know, the best way out of um, any situation is to to provide economic uh, opportunity for that group of people. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, can you speak to that? Is that is that the way forward? It's economic uh, opportunity. The only way that we can get people out of whether it's, you know, a, a, a depression or their the the level of consciousness, the level of um, feeling that they are at at that that very moment, like. Well, I certainly hope not. Right? I mean, I think, you know, that's, you know, that's, you know, capitalism is built on this idea that that money will buy you happiness, right? Or that we can buy our way out of this, right? I think, right. you know, there's so much about just, um, you know, everyone's burnt out right now and checked out right now. And so what do you do? You, you buy something to make you feel better. You buy a book on burnout. You buy, you know, chocolates you buy a face mask you buy new clothes you buy something like you buy your way out of it right and so a lot of you know i think you know your work about just having people be on a kind of personal journey or a personal coming to personal growth and personal change is like again you have to get to that place where i'm not going to buy happiness i need i need to find that fulfillment not in something i'm going to purchase <laughs> or as it is you know it's a really meaningful purchase it's not a kind of um mindless um mindless right. purchase right and i think in the same way that you see capitalism being built on this like buy more buy more sell more sell more sell more you know more and more people they're just you know going through the world you know in a fog of just on autopilot on a treadmill right and so they're just consuming in that same way you know and it's like you know they're consuming and there's a big hole in the side of them because it's not filling them up right Right. Um, and that's, you know, obviously what capitalism wants you to do, because then you just buy more and you continue the cycle. Right. So some of it is finding that place of, oh. I'm not going to be fulfilled by buying something else. I'm not going to be fulfilled by getting um, a certain promotion or by looking a certain way. And, you know, so sometimes you will. Right. Like sometimes there there are exceptions to that. Right. Like if you yeah, like are after a human. certain promotion, you know, you're after a certain promotion and that's going to like, you know, really fulfill you. Then like, great. You know, and I, I've you know had that in my life, too. But I think there's also that way of, of kind of doing it, um, it where, again, you're just like on autopilot, consuming, 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 consuming and not really questioning like what is fulfilling you. And I think, you know, that's going to be a big wake up call for for people and for society when we look at like, OK, how how can a business just say, like, you know what, I don't need to double my profits this year. I just need to keep making enough. Mm -hmm. Right. Or. um, And I get that that's super complicated, right, because how if cost of living is going up and your employees need more money to live, you got to make more money. Right. But how so how do we balance those things? Right. And how do we like rethink cost of living um, as as more beyond just, you know, affording things, which is really hard to do. I get it right now. Inflation right. is crazy, right? Our grocery bills are crazy. So to say to somebody like, you know, oh, it's more than food. <laughs> it's hard I mean, to be like, yes, it is about like inner happiness and inner peace. And also I need to eat, you know? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I've felt <laughs> on my journey. I mean, it's just like, yeah, I, 
you know, I don't want to participate in that system anymore, but I also somehow have to eat and have a roof over my house and, and continue to meet, you know, I'm no good as a, um, as a human being, if my lowest level of, of needs are not met, if I'm, you know, homeless because I don't, I'm not able to earn enough money to have a, a place where I can stay. And, but I think, you know, looking at a systemic approach to that, it does seem like the, um, fractional reserve banking system is, is almost the start of this, of that, uh, you know, growth at all costs mentality, because that's how it, that's how it works. You have to have growth in this fractional reserve banking system in order for it to continue. It's, it's similar to a Ponzi scheme. Like you just have to keep adding more levels to it and it has to continue to grow. Otherwise it, it falls apart. And, you know, the, the founders and, and the country, you know, America, didn't have fractional reserve banking, didn't have um, a fiat currency for, for many, many years. They, they knew that that was, you know, this was a lesson that they had learned in Europe in the, the 15th, 16th and 17th centuries was that, you know, this is not how you have a sustainable economic system. You can't have fractional reserve banking and you shouldn't have a fiat currency because the fiat currency, I mean, it's so easy just to get into a problem and say, all right, well, we'll just print more money and that'll solve the issue. But it doesn't solve the issue. It just kicks the can down the road and then you have inflation and then you have, now you're incentivizing businesses to continue to grow, to be able to keep up with the cost of inflation. And it, it just, it, it causes all these issues and problems. But then how do you, how do we transition away from that? And, you know, there are, there are certainly technologies that exist that would allow us to do that. But then, you know, do you forgive all debt? Is that the answer? Do you do what's called, you know, Nasara or Jasara, which is, you know, basically these debt forgiveness uh, systems, either nationally or globally? Uh, and who, you know, who gets to decide who, which debts are forgiven, which debts are not forgiven? Do the debts transfer over? Um, you know, it, it becomes a very, very, very complex question. And it, the answer to that lies in everyone coming to the table and saying, all right, well, let's figure this out. But that's a very complicated, you know, how do you, how do you have a conversation with a hundred million people? How, is that the next technology that we need to build is, is a way for us to vote and communicate on a, um, on a global scale? Um, and is there a non-physical technology like telepathy that would allow us to become this species that is able to solve problems on a species-wide basis? Wow, that's a lot of really big questions, um, some of which I've never considered before. <laughs> um, you're never going to be able to have the whole planet vote, right? Like we, we can't even have like everyone in our country vote when like, and like believe the results of the election, right? Right. Um, so there has to be a sense of trust that's enabled, right? I think, you know, so much of the polarization you see today is just simply because people don't trust one another. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of that comes from kind of othering people, right? So the same way that we exploit people 
to make money, we, we then other them, right? So if we other people, then we're kind of saying they're less than, or, you know, we, you can kind of do some of this fear mongering that like you need to fear this thing. So some of it just has to do with um, trust and building trust and building trust in humanity and building trust in one another. Um, you know, I think another thing just to think about, which is a really hard thing, and I have, you know, I have way more questions than I do answers for this kind of thing. But if you think about how we've gotten to this moment in time, it's, it's been years, 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 decades in the making. And we're, we've sped up time so much that like everyone's looking for a solution that will happen now. What can we do now to fix this now? And we're not going to be able to, right? We're not going to be able to fix it overnight. It took decades of different decisions, different laws, different ways of educating people, of othering people, of, you know, instilling these beliefs in one another to get here. It's going to take time to undo all of that, right? If you think about, you know, how long it takes a tree to grow, right? You, you plant the seed. It takes a really long time for that tree to grow. And it takes, you know, a day to chop it down. And we got to regrow and we have to regrow a lot of those trees. So it's going to take time. It's not something that can happen quickly. And of course, the sad thing is, is we need it to happen quickly because, you know, we see all of the destruction that's happening in the world today. Um, you know, I guess I would just point to things like transition design. Tra transition design is a um, is a field that basically looks for how do we see everything, how do we see everything that's connected, and what how can we take different pinpoints and enact them to move forward. So almost as if you think about um, having acupuncture done, if you've have ever had acupuncture done, right? Um, you know, you, you could go and say, you know, oh, I have this, you know, thing happening in my neck and, you know, the acupuncturist is going to put needles, sure, in your neck, but also, you know, in your head and your arm and your leg and your foot and all over your body. And it's all of those points in your body working together to create a flow right. to, to help what's in your neck, right? And that's what has to happen right now in our societies is we have to have all of these multiple leverage points happening so that a bigger change can happen. And so, again, it's not about just one thing. It's about a lot of different things and a lot of different things happening. And all of those have to be kind of rooted in this mentality of belonging and trusting and not wanting to take advantage of other people and not, not like needing to exploit others or other resources or other things so that I can have more. Yeah, and maybe sometimes I, I like to reframe it as not needing to exploit, but just turning a blind eye to the exploitation that exists within that system. Because I, I think for the most part, most people aren't actively going out to see how they can exploit other human beings, but they benefit in a very, very measurable way from the exploitation, and they just choose not to see where they're yes. exploiting, see where they're uh, possibly putting somebody down for their own personal gain. Absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. And that, you know, again, it kind of, it goes, it all goes back to the realization that we're all in this together, that, that it isn't us versus them at any, any stratum of society, that it is all the same. And I don't know, there's just a whole generation of people who have been, who have been brought up and, and basically they 
exist in a reality where it is an us versus them. It was us versus Russia. It was or the USSR. It's us versus China. It's, um, you know, India versus South Africa. We're all in this kind of mindset where it's us versus them. And the whole idea of the show is that we're moving towards this unification, this this reunification of humanity. Uh, and and again, the time frame, I don't know. It's it's up to each individual what that time frame looks like. But I'm hoping within a decade or so, we get to a point where it's not necessarily like, okay, we're all the same thing. We're all the same energy experiencing itself from different perspectives. Like that would be wonderful, but it's probably not going to happen. But I think we're going to get to a point where people do realize, okay, everything that I do has an impact on other people. So how can I, how can I be okay with the impact that I'm having on other people and understand that, yes, there will be some impact that that's going to harm other people, or maybe it's, it seems unjust that I have this ability or this, you know, this ability to go shop organic foods and somebody else doesn't, but Every week I, you know, I take 10% of my paycheck and I, I give it to a foundation that's helping these people. Or uh, again, from my perspective, money is just energy. Money is just energy flowing. And there's there seems to be this, um, this belief that you have to store all the energy. And, and something that I was thinking about the other day was um, – there's this idea in financials called FIRE. It's uh, financial independence, retire early. And it's basically you take as much of your paycheck and you invest it into uh, a, a uh, mutual fund or a uh, basically a, a fund that tracks the major, uh, either the Dow or the FTSE or um, NASDAQ. And you just keep putting that in. And, and what that's basically doing is it is taking the benefit of these massive corporations, what, you know, the U.S. economy, it's taking that benefit and it's bringing it back to all these other people within the system. So, um, you know, I'm trying, I'm racking my brain on how do we create a system that allows the benefit of the entire economy to go back to all of the people instead of just a small amount of people. And obviously you have to you still have to benefit the people that are taking the risks that are risking their own capital to to do that but at some point there you know if you make 50% then maybe the rest of it does happen to go back to um you know this the rest of the population whether that's through the stock exchange or it's through taxation or it's through a little bit of both and then as we've seen over the last couple of years the more that you compile money. So the US government takes the most money in. they take taxes from everybody, piles it into this big, um, this gigantic pool of money. And then we all have to kind of figure out how to spend that pool of money. And there seems to be a whole lot of um, foul play when you start to amass trillions of dollars and uh, electing roughly 700 people to decide what and where that money is spent. So, you know, from a system approach, that system doesn't seem to be working. And that's a that's a pretty big system to to take on. I think there's still there's these um, kind of decentralized systems that that the technology exists, whether or not we're able to put the information into that technology and and allow 
the trust that this technology is going to do what it needs to do. And uh, talking about blockchain, um, that seems to be one of the ways that we could decentralize this very centralized power that has that has amassed um, within our system. But again, you know, you you have to you got to get people to trust that. Okay, well, this is you know, this is a blockchain system. It if anybody does mess or change the code or or has any change in this system that that it will alert us and we'll be able to tell uh there'll be you know i, I would assume people that are um basically their job is to make sure that the system isn't changing without anybody else noticing raising flags and then you know then we decide okay what happens now that the system was changed who changed it and how do we fix it um, that seems to kind of make sense, uh, kind of moving into the future. But again, the, uh, there's there's a lot that can be said about bringing a hypothesis into a practical situation. So I don't know if you've thought of anything uh, kind of that high level, but uh, would love to kind of get your thoughts on that. Uh, wow. Well, I am not a financial person. <laughs> I don't, uh, you know, sometimes I... Um, I think the reverse, I think the opposite, like the, almost the opposite direction of, of where you're thinking, which is, um, I can't control where my taxes go, you know, sure. I can vote. I can control it in that way. Right. But I, I, I don't have direct control over it. So what do I have direct control over? What can I directly control? Right. Um, I think about um, there's a group of people in my neighborhood who get together every Sunday morning and we walk around the neighborhood together and we pick up trash. And we um, part of the goal, of course, is to clean up the neighborhood and treat it, you know, treat our neighborhood as if it's our front yard because it is. Right. <laughs> um, but part of the goal is also to um, to build community with one another and just to get to know other people and to see our neighbors and get to know our neighbors and get to know um, the people in our community. And, you know, one time I was out with them recently and we we're out picking up trash and these other people walked past us and they, and I overheard this comment by this man who was just like, oh, that's really nice what they're doing, but it's such a futile, it's such a futile attempt. Mm -hmm. And I just thought to myself, you don't get it. You know, like, yeah, you're right that we're going to pick up trash and tomorrow someone else is going to litter and there's going to be more trash here. And from that perspective, it is futile, right? Like <laughs> I live in a major city. There's always going to be trash. Yes, it is. Right. But, you know, they weren't seeing that it was actually about something much bigger than that. It was about taking care of the environment and taking care of people in the community and about getting to know and build community. Um, and so, you know, I think about like, that is just, you know, it's not about finances in the way that you're talking about finances. Um, it's not about, you know, elected officials in government and um, kind of these really huge systems. It's about something that's very, very small and very, very close to like one, you know, not even city, one neighborhood within a city, right? But it's just such a small way that that is something I can control. Mm -hmm. And that is a way that I can build community. And that that community does spread um, to other neighbors, to other people who see us, to other people we interact with, right? So it's almost like the total opposite end of the spectrum of what you are bringing up. But to me, I look for like, what are the ways that we can, like what can we control and what can we have 
Um, because I think those are the things that are going to make people hopeful. Like if I, if I can do an action and I can see it change, I can see it have an impact, then that's going to give me more hope than, you know, giving my money to a big foundation or to, you know, my taxes or voting or, you know, my elected officials, you know, passing some law that I want to see. You don't always see or feel those effects in the same way. And I think if we're talking about like connecting with humans and connecting with humanity, it's it's more about those small connections. And, you know, the hope would be, again, that there's that ripple on that there those kinds of people, those kinds of connections are going upward. Um, right. Yeah, you're definitely <laughs> changing my perspective as far as what needs to be done, because, yeah, I mean. It really does. It starts with the individual. Like it always, always, always starts with the individual. And that that's kind of where we are right now in this in this weird transition from, um, you know, this this very individualized society, you know, that basically each human is is here for our own. But realizing that we're all in this together, that we're all part of what we call this super organism called humanity and and these we've had these super organisms like the u.s like china you know that that are we're seeing what the limits of their abilities are to have a positive effect on the rest of the humans within that system and yeah now we need to kind of take our power back and this is uh you know kind of that libertarian um kind of jargon that 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 goes around it's like we need we need individualized uh power we each need to make decisions for ourselves and be able to make our own uh or make our own way in the world and this is i think kind of where you're you're coming around to it's like we we should not be putting our faith in any anything above anything that we don't have control over and just really start to take control back of how we are showing up in the world, how we are being every single day. And in that we're changing, um, you know, essentially from the bottom up, what, what is happening on the planet? What is the perspective of, of, you know, us as a species? Yeah. I, I would agree with some of what you're saying. I think, I think it's a yes. And like, yes, I, I, it is, it does start with self, but we also need to live in community with one another. So it's right. not, you know, we can't all just, ha- we can't have a, ki- we can't have a community where everyone only thinks about themselves and cares about themselves, right? We also do have to have oppor- opportunities to put others first and to work together. You know, there's a, a really um, simple example that David Orr likes to use sometimes in talking about our complexities. Um, and if you think about a simple pencil, like a simple number two pencil, um, it's a pretty simple device, but one person can't make it. There's not one person who knows, or, you know, maybe there is, right? But the idea is like a number two pencil has wood, it has lead, it has metal, it has rubber, it has plastic in the paint that's on it, it has ink on it, it has all these different materials. If you think about how many different people worked on extracting all of those materials and then putting them together to make something as simple as a pencil, right? And so if you would ask one person, like, can you one or one individual make a pencil? Like, probably not. Right. Mm-hmm. It takes it takes a lot of people to make a simple pencil. It takes a lot of people to make our clothes, to make our food, to make our infrastructure. We have to be able to 
work and live in community. So it's not just about an individual self. It is about working with others, but I think it's about seeing the humanity in one another and connecting with people in that way. Yeah. And that's what kind of Ken Wilber talks about a lot is that we're holons. It's that we're, you know, we're individuals and we're also a part of a greater thing, just like our body is made up of cells and each individual cell has their own kind of autonomy, but they also work together to create the organs inside of us. Those organs work together to create a functioning system. And those that functioning system is what we call the human body. And then there's a a conscious element to the human. Uh, and that's kind of where we are in humanity. We're, we're figuring out how to play with each other to create a much larger being, a super organism, but not lose touch with our individuality as well. I, I think that's kind of a good way to, to conceptualize what is happening mm -hmm. on humanity. It's not that we need total individualism. And that's not what I was saying. Like, uh, right, I, I don't right. necessarily yeah, ag yeah. agree yeah. with um, total individualistic perspective. We need to be right. individuals that are in control of our lives that also realize that our actions affect those closest to us, our family, our, our you know, friends, our community, that our community affects the larger community, uh, county or state, and then that state affects the larger organism, bless you, um, Excuse me. Thank you, the country, and then that country affects the larger organism, which is the global society, the, the fact that we live in this global society. So you almost have to balance those two perspectives. You have to balance that, hey, I need to do what's good for me and what's good for my family and what's good for um, you know, my community, but it also has to be good for the entirety of the planet. And that's the only way that we kind of, we make it out of this. And, and Jordan Peterson talks a lot about that is envisioning your life, not just today, but tomorrow into the future, that it, that it is good for not just you, not just your family, not just your community, but it's good for the entirety of the world. And that's how you kind of design your, your ideal life. That's how you live. He uses the term God. That's how you live within within the realm of God. Um, I think that can kind of be extrapolated out to that's how we live as functioning humans in a society, especially as we continue to to globalize and and realize that we are way bigger than just this small little community that that we were used to, and that we spent ten thousand years growing up in in these communities of one hundred and fifty or less. And now all of a sudden within, you know, 500 years, we've got these massive communities of people that, that have to exist all together, all with um, these limited resources. So it's, uh, it's a fascinating time to be alive. And I think just, just having these conversations puts out this, this understanding that, hey, we actually do have to kind of start thinking about this. And the more people that are thinking about it, I think the better the outcome is going to be. Um, if we if we continue to kind of stuff things under the rug and say, hey, let's we don't have to think about this yet. Like that's that's somebody else's problem to deal with. And we're going to like I said, there's going to be a reckoning that comes, um, whether that is economic, financial, you know, uh, some type of global catastrophe uh, or multiple global catastrophes when when, you know, the planet can't keep up with our consumption. 
Um, these are all things that I am putting my mental capacity into how do we, how do we, uh, not go down that road and how do we steer the ship away from those icebergs? But, um, you know, again, I, it's not just one person that's, that's commanding this ship. There's a whole lot of people that are commanding the ship. So it does, it takes that individual to change their perspective and, and be open to change because that's Right. The only way it's going to happen, we can't we can't solve the all of these problems with the lens of, uh, you know, 1990 science. Like it's it's going to take the the evolution of science, the evolution of technology, the evolution of um, society to solve all of these these big issues. And uh, what brings me hope is that there's never been as many highly intelligent humans on the planet as ever before there everybody mm. is far more educated than anyone has ever been mm. the internet is is democratizing access to information so you know all, these imp all the information isn't stored in uh the intelligences of the higher education system or the church system as it's been in past and i think the higher education education system is realizing this it's like hey we've we've built this system that worked 50 or 100 or 150 years ago but it's it's not working in today's world with with the internet so how are we going to transition and if they don't transition that's just another system that i think is going to have a massive reckoning um and, and the ones that are getting out in front of it the ones that are embracing technology and the ubiquitousness of information and being able to share it quickly and um as quickly and as um, democratically as possible, not just pockets of information, but uh, uh, information available to everyone. Uh, I, again, that's that seems like the way forward for me. Yeah, and I think, you know, um, it, yeah, there has to be, there's going to be a big change. There's going to be a reckoning. And so, and if, we can get to that place from a place of love and compassion and wanting to change. It's going to be far better than having to hit that point out of fear or, um, you know, anger. And so I think, you know, your your question of, of you know like what gives you hope like sometimes i say like well what's the other choice right if i'm not hopeful then i'm pessimistic mm -hmm. um and you know i don't i don't say that with like you know a total blind eye like obviously you know we do need to design for adaptation because there are things that you know we're not going to go back for so it's not a total like you know pollyanna moment or anything like that but i think overall if we can be hopeful and lead from a place of hope instead of a place of fear and anger I think we'll we'll be far better off together. Yeah, and that's the idea behind. Uh, there's an esoteric idea behind uh, basically what what quantum mechanics is starting to kind of figure out is that you know your individual consciousness is experiencing different realities, different. It's shifting different realities every you know, multiple times per second, and 
based on your vibration, each individual vibration, you're going to experience a reality that matches that vibration. So if you're hopeful, if you're loving, if you're joyful, your reality, the reality that you're going to experience is going to be loving and joyful. And uh, again, some of us are going to make this transition on on that love, joy, hope, and some of us are going to make that transition on the pain, fear, suffering, and you get to choose. Each person gets to choose how they experience this quantum reality game that we're all playing, however you want to kind of conceptualize that. So yeah. again, the, the message for me always, uh, it's, it's at the start of the show, it's at the end of the show. The only change you need to do is on yourself. If you have hope, if you have um, excitement, if you have joy, and if you have love in your being and you're vibrating at that frequency, that's the reality that you're going to experience. Um, it, it's very difficult. Again, you talk about changing changing your mentality. It's very difficult for uh, conscious beings who have never experienced this like shifting quantum shifting in reality, who have always thought that there's one reality. This is the ra- the only reality that I'm experiencing and everyone else is experiencing the same reality to go from that to this new understanding where we're all experiencing reality from different perspectives, from different ways, from different vibrations. And now we're at this, we're at this point in human history where we're, we're realizing that each one of those vibrations is coming into this more unified consciousness, this more unified perspective. And there, there is an opportunity if you're vibrating at the right level to, to come into, um, not necessarily a utopia, but a, a reality where everybody is living from joy, from love, from peace. Um, and that's where we're moving towards. And it might not feel like it right now, uh, but you have a choice. Each human has a choice to decide which reality they want to experience. Do they want to go down that road of learning their lessons from pain and suffering? Or do they want to go down the, the road of learning the lessons from intuition and from trust in uh, a power that is above them? And that that's, you know, kind of, that's yeah. my spiel. But yeah, change the channel. Exactly. Uh, this has been such a great conversation, and I hope um, that you know, for those who are listening, I hope maybe there's some nugget in here that helps them kind of think about things in a different way, or think about how we connect with humanity in a different way, and um, kind of come to that place of hope um, in trying to move us forward. I hope so as well, and that's that's the whole reason I'm doing this show is to try to help people. Maybe just see from a little bit different perspective. Again, it's your choice. I'm not forcing any views, perspectives, anything on. Um, I, I like to play mind games, and that's what I do. You know, with with guests, it's like, what if we go down the route of let's take full total control and 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 do that? But that doesn't mean that that's what I want. Like I, I'm, I am a hundred percent in. I trust that everybody's going to make the decision that they need to make, and that. It's going to work out for everybody exactly as it needs to work out. So that's that's how I operate. And I just like to have fun and and see where guests are and what they think and, yeah. and just have a good time with it. So I really yeah. appreciate you coming on the show today, Rachel. Yeah, um, it's been a great I, conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, and I hope you have a great rest of your day. 
Um, I will make sure that I link all of your socials, website, all that in the show notes so that people can find you if they're looking for any information on systems thinking, sustainable behavior change, uh, anything along those lines. Uh, any other uh, last parting words for everybody? Oh, boy. Last parting words. Um, I would just say to change the channel to find how you can regenerate yourself, to regenerate your community, to regenerate the planet. Beautiful. Well, thank you again, Rachel, and uh, take care. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Changing the Channel with Joe Garner. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the podcast, hit the bell to know when a new show comes out, share with a friend, and rate us on whatever platform you're tuning in from. It helps get these messages out to more people to create the collective shift in reality we are here to experience. Make sure you interact with the Q&A and poll sections of the show so I can continue to provide content you enjoy. Finally, check out my website in the show notes to become a VIP of Changing the Channel and join the shift that is happening.